there are about five questions every client should ask their uh, financial advisor or any financial advisor they're interviewing, uh, in my opinion. And the first question is, how should I evaluate whether uh, you're a good advisor uh, or not over time, right? And, and typically, that question might manifest itself, and I get asked this all the time, hey, Philip, what, um, uh, you know, what's, what's your performance? Like, what's the performance been of, uh, of your firm? And, and I always let them know that I don't, I don't have a performance uh, history for my firm because I have you know, over 100 clients. Each client has a different investing time frame, uh, different risk tolerance. And my job is not necessarily to beat um, some stock market index. You know, my job and the way my clients evaluate me on performance is whether they're uh, on track to reach their long-term financial goals. So meaning the client says, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a moderate investor. Uh, I have 15, 20 years before retirement. <clears throat> um, I need a, you know, I need to you know, retire by this goal and this amount. Then what I want to do is build them a financial plan and build them an investment portfolio that helps them earn the uh, rate of return or gives them a very good shot to earn the rate of return that helps them uh, reach their goal. It's not beating some 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 benchmark. And you know, the person that has a longer time frame and is uh, more willing to take risk is very likely going to earn more than a person who's shorter time frame and uh, less risk averse. And it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, what specific, um, you know, uh, what our firm does from an investment performance standpoint. Those uh, in different ways for those two different, uh, for those two different clients. And so the first thing when you answer that question, you want to know whether this advisor is, um, you know, trying to beat other advisor uh, is not going to be able to live up to. Uh, and uh, it's, it's um, very difficult for, you know, for you to evaluate whether they're going to do that in advance or not. But it's very easy for you to say, all right, this planning approach, you know, and, you know, does this advisor build good financial plans and are their assumptions or return on track with, you know, what they're proposing? I invest my money in and that, that asset class is history, which you can do relatively well. And a good advisor will actually be uh, very conservative in what they're expecting your investments to do uh, over time. So um, first question, uh, how should I evaluate you as an advisor and look for advisor that has a planning focused approach, goal focused approach, a client centric focused approach, not a performance focused approach. Second question, are you a fiduciary, right? Believe it or not, and what's a fiduciary? A fiduciary is somebody that uh, has to put their client's interest ahead of theirs. It's, it's same as what CPAs have, doctors have, uh, financial advisors outside of the U.S. have in many countries, uh, but believe it or not, something like 90% of the financial advisors in the U.S. don't have to be a fiduciary and aren't fiduciaries. They have um, what's called a suitable um, <clears throat> uh, 
you know, duty to their clients, which is kind of like a more of a buyer's beware. It's more of a loose kind of, you know, make sure you're educated. You know, it's on you to have the final decision, but it's a buyer beware type um, requirement, which is re very loose and not as strong as a fiduciary. <clears throat> um, and, you know, and it doesn't mean it's a bad relationship, but um, um, and most clients aren't aware that their advisor aren't fiduciaries and they're more of a salesperson. They're, you know, fiduciary, a suitable or a non-fiduciary type of relationship is one where they're just going to say, hey, here are your options. And as long as they educate you and it's uh, something that's quote unquote reasonable uh, for somebody in that situation and you decide to buy it, <clears throat> you know, um, then that's on you, right? Which most people think they're dealing with a fiduciary who has a, is held to a higher standard um, um, uh, than, um, than somebody who's not a fiduciary. The other thing is there's some people who operate as a fiduciary and as a non-fiduciary. They may have the license to be a fiduciary, but they may sell products, which is kind of tricky. And so you say, are, you know, uh, are they a fiduciary and are they a fiduciary only, right? Or do they wear two hats? Can they sell products, right? And what's the majority of what they recommend to their clients? Because then you're going to find out if they, if they just got the fiduciary license just so they could call themselves a fiduciary, which is a, a, a pretty hot trend. And you also want to ask if they get paid different amounts uh, for different investments they recommend. That's another red flag. <clears throat> Question number three. What are all the fees involved, right? When you're dealing with uh, investments, um, you're going to have different layers of fees. You got the fee that you pay for a financial plan, um, which is typically, you know, flat fee retainer or, or hourly retainer based on <clears throat> how long it takes to build the plan. You're going to have an asset management fee. So the wealth manager, financial advisor, um, who's a fiduciary, will charge a fee for overseeing your portfolios bill to your account. And so you'll, you'll have that. Uh, if, if they're a commission-based advisor, which I said run in part two, if they are that, um, you're going to have a commission. Uh, if they're not, you still may have to pay a commission to the brokerage company that you use. So if your advisor uses a TD Ameritrade, Polio, Charles Schwab, Betterment, uh, there may be some sort of commission <clears throat> um, and or fee uh, to that company that you use that's paid directly to them. So you want to know what those fees are. Um, and, then, and then when you build the portfolio, if you use mutual funds, uh, then there's going to be cost of the funds that you use. So you want to ask about all those fees and make sure you fully understand the cost of implementing your uh, investment portfolio. Um, the fourth question um, to, to, to ask the um, advisor <clears throat> is going to be, how, do, how does the advisor make investment decisions? Um, and every advisor has their own process and, and very similar to where, you know, Bill Belichick has his process. Nick Saban has his process. Uh, these are um, football coaches. Uh, Greg Popovich, a basketball coach, has his process. Uh, um, Mike D'Antoni, Houston Rockets coach, my team, he has his process. They all got different processes. Uh, and, and, and there's no quote unquote better process than the other, but you want to, know that they have a discipline process that's long-term goal-focused client-centric um, that they use and they could articulate. So for example, the process that I use for making investment decisions for my clients is when, when we create the financial plan, <clears throat> I will um, you know, put in their plan, 
get an idea of their uh, risk tolerance or you know whether they're moderate, conservative, aggressive. And then I'll match um, uh, the asset class that they should own uh, with their plan. So for example, if somebody has a less than 10 year time frame for needing the money, they're gonna have some bonds and it's gonna be a big portion of the portfolio because it's, it's, it's very difficult if we have a big stock market you know, hit within the next 10 years to recover uh, all of your portfolio with a with high probability with that time frame. But if it's longer than 10 years or 15 years or more, it's going to have a bigger emphasis on stocks, um, you know, than bonds. And then within that, you have, you know, uh, small stocks, medium sized stocks, international stocks, growth stocks. And so um, what I use is some software that can, I've tested out different you know, asset mixes, which you, if you think of asset mixes, these are kind of like the basic food groups of building, building a portfolio. So you have large companies, mid-sized companies, small companies. And then within that, you have those same companies that are in the U.S. and outside the U.S. And then you also have within that um, stocks that are growth stocks, which are companies that are growing real fast. And then stocks that are value stocks. Those are typically stocks that are old world, unloved, selling cheap, you know, relative to other stocks. <laughs> And so you can slice those into multiple different pieces and those make up the, you know, the different food groups. And so when you're building a portfolio, you want to be diversified. So you want to have some money in, in all of them. Um, and so when I built the financial plan and stress test different portfolios, I have kind of my quote unquote food group recipe uh, for a diversified portfolio. And I'll test those out and say, Hey, for this person with this time, gives the highest probability of helping them uh, reach their goal. And that's kind of the starting part of my process. And then what I'll end up doing is um, putting a little bit more money than what, than what the, um, the software says in the cheaper um, type of stocks uh, and taking more money out of the more expensive ones, right? So, and I don't want to get into how you decide on what's cheap or what's not cheap. It's, is layered, but it's, it's very simple. When you, when you look at um, stock portfolios, imagine, and I can explain it better using real estate, imagine a piece of property that's $100,000 and it, you can collect $2,000 a month of rent on that property. And then you got another property that's $100,000, but you can collect $4,000 a month of rent on, on that property. The one that gets $4,000 a month is a better buyer, has more value, or selling relatively cheaper than the one that uh, pays pays less rent. So when you're investing in stocks, stocks have earnings. And if you are buying stocks that, um, you know, the price that you're buying, that you're paying for, you know, a share of the company, um, is, you know, pay, gives you more earnings for, for every dollar you buy of the company, that stock is relatively cheap. And so, so what I'm doing is putting more money in stocks that are relatively cheaper um, at the moment of those quote unquote basic food groups um, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting more money than what, uh, um, than what is, um, what tests well for the, 
you know, for the plan um, to, 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 to improve the chance of overperformance, right? And I know I went a bit technical on that, but the point is I run the plan, create the plan, use Monte Carlo software to figure out what's the best probable um, portfolio for this plan. And then I tweak it a little bit more by putting a little bit more money in normal in the asset classes um, that are cheap uh, relative to everything else at the moment. So a real life example to bring this home since I went real nerd on you is right now emerging markets are relatively cheap. Um, so I'm overweighting emerging markets. Um, value stocks are pretty cheap, you know, small, mid and large. So I'm overweighting that and non-US um, stocks, international stocks are cheap as well. And so I'm overweighting those um, more than normal uh, for a static um, um, portfolio uh, asset allocation that tests uh, in, in my plan. <clears throat> so question, question number five, right? I'm, I'm gonna come out of the, the nerd for you for a second. But question uh, number five, very good question to ask the financial advisor is, how often do you, you know, do you talk and is the advisor accessible? You know, you wanna make sure that at least once a year, your advisor is talking to you about your planning, your investments and getting an update, uh, preferably more, right? I've talked to my clients multiple times throughout the year. Uh, they're hearing from me um, um, also probably multiple times a week uh, via, uh, email list and podcast that I put out, but I'm, but I'm multiple times a year talking to them on the phone, reaching out uh, in-person meetings. Um, I encourage them to update me on uh, their plan and what's going on whenever something major changes. I like to get updated because it's going to affect their long-term plan, but make sure that communicating uh, with your advisor is something that they do and they like to do and they encourage you to do because they're handling your money, uh, your hard-earned money, and you want to make sure you have somebody who's attentive uh, in that role to your needs. So uh, this is not meant to be investment advice. This is for education and informational purposes. Um, I, uh, you can lose money with investing and investing involves risk. Um, my company Stonehill Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm. Philip Washington, CEO of Stonehill Wealth Management, author of Retirement Investing 101. Uh, and host of this podcast, the Ask Philip podcast. Um, for those who want to learn more, I put out some um, webinars that are longer form uh, on, on a site that's uh, retirementinvesting.money. That's retirementinvesting.money. Uh, check that out. Uh, I interchange different webinars uh, from time to time on that site, but there's a cool one on right now. Um, Y'all enjoy your day. <clears throat>